You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, and welcome to The Compass, the podcast documenting the struggles of life as an artist. I'm Leah Walsh. Hi. I'm back from a little break. We went on vacation earlier this month to Puerto Rico, which was much needed time um, with my baby and with my husband and just taking naps. And I actually finished a couple books, which was really great. So thank you for tuning back in. My guest today is Lizzie King Hall. Lizzie is an actor and a dialect coach. We've known each other for quite a while now. We were in grad school around the same time. She went to the Brown University Trinity Rep program, and she and Frankie did the Chautauqua summer theater program when they were both in grad school. So we met through that and have kind of run in the same circles ever since. Her energy is wonderful, and she's also done a lot of political activism work along with her artistic career. So I was excited to talk to her about that. And I just wanted to mention one thing that we d- I realized listening back to the edit that we didn't really get into. She mentions at one point the t-shirts that she's been making. If you contact her through Facebook or through Instagram, I'm sure you could find a way to purchase one. She had some t-shirts printed that say, there are women running for president in response to the lack of press coverage for all the female candidates on the Democratic primary. So reach out to her if you're interested in that project or in purchasing a t-shirt. Summer is here. I feel such a relief at that. I hope you're all doing well, and I hope you enjoyed this episode, the 136th episode of The Compass. What do you do to try to keep from going to the dark side as an artist? Mm -hmm. And what does the dark side mean for you most often I guess is kind of wrapped up in that question yeah um I think the dark side is when I make the mistake of looking down in a profession whose kind of operating principle is never look down I think it it helps me to remember what a mind game we are playing with ourselves. And I mean this in a good way. The toughness that we show on a daily basis, it it really helped me, first of all, be in therapy. Everyone should be in therapy. Mm -hmm. But my therapist has helped um, show this to me that I'll say something, um, I mean, early on, I would describe something like, uh, she'd say, well, when do you find out if you got that part? 
<laughs> right? Okay, so you and I, that's just a quick, we, we just elide that experience. And we've completely forgotten how abusive yeah. that is. And it, that, you, um, that you don't. That you go home and for several days you wait and as weeks go by, you find out by basically being ghosted (laughs) by like Sam Gold and you're like honored to have been ghosted by Sam Gold that your, your self and your emotions and your past and your body and your face has been rejected. (laughs) And, um... And if you're lucky, that happens to you twice a week. Right. And I think it actually helps me to remember just how much of a badass I am that I can manage that and that all of us are um, insofar as you can. And then, like, remember that if you can't manage that for a while, that's okay, too. I think zealously editing your social media... I have found, like, I think we also just sort of assume that social media is supposed to make us feel like shit. Or maybe you don't notice that as you're scrolling, how do you feel inside? How do you feel inside during and how do you feel inside after? And as, like, professional networkers, we think that everyone, we should be following everyone, we should be looking at everyone. Not everyone might agree with this philosophy. I personally think that, yes, I, I don't think we should be off social media as actors. I found out about a show, a director I really respect uh, that I want to tape myself for. I found out about it last night on Facebook. Mm-hmm. He got in touch, you know, when I said, Oh, that looks great. I do think that like when you shot like an under five on a sitcom six years ago and you like, friended the guy next to you in the trailer or you know your co-star who you liked a lot but is not your friend (laughs) like or you know every single person you went to college with who is like you know maybe their life is going kind of a different way that you could be kind of envious of in certain ways um or you know every single person you've ever worked with at regional theater who didn't actually become your friend. Of course, I want to like, you know, stay on top of people's lives. And like, I love, I love Facebook. I love Instagram. (laughs) I like, I, I, I do see it's innate evils, but I'm also just like at heart, like a middle-aged lady. And I want to be on Facebook and like, look at tasty videos. But if you follow every single person you've ever friended, you are setting yourself up for that snake bit feeling of envy mm-hmm. when you are at home in front of Netflix, you know, picking your nose, you haven't showered, you're <laughs> on unemployment, you, and you're scrolling through Instagram. Right. And it's very hard to avoid comparing kaboom. yourself. Mm-hmm. And you can't, I, it really does feel like it's a snake bite to me. Not that I've been bitten by a snake, <laughs> but like when you, you're like, oh my God, she got that. Or, oh my God, she look at this, you know, right. thing that I don't have. You are, it has f- nothing to do with you. You were fine 30 seconds ago without it. Exactly. You don't need to see ever. And I think stay, definitely stay friends with them. You can now mute 
anyone who makes you feel like shit. And you just assiduously pay attention to who makes you feel like shit on social media. It's not their fault. <laughs> they, they could be making you feel like shit because they're they're so happy all the time and in Acapulco right. with their with curly haired little what toddlers. They're showing on social media, right? Makes it yes. seem that way. Yeah. yeah. And it's okay to yeah. mute that, and they won't ever, you know, yeah. see it again. So that's some. That's one of your tactics. That's one of my tactics, and I think on a deeper level, like remembering that no one can take what you've done away from you. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting since theater is so, you know, gone in an instant. Yeah. It's easy to forget about something that you were, or to feel like it didn't count. Mm-hmm. Something, something that you were really, really proud about mm. three, three years ago, you know, and you did that. You accomplished that. You did. And the people who witnessed it. They it remember it. Them. Yeah. Yes. And that, that's something that's helped me too, is redefining what being famous means. And first of all, I mean, just looking for success. This is why compare and despair is so dangerous because then success starts to look like other people's success. Right. But I remember, I don't know what made me kind of interrogate this. This was like two years ago. I said, okay, um, you know, what am I, what am I hungry for in terms of being famous? Let's actually have a definite, let's have a working definition of that. It means people know what you do who don't know you. It means, um, and are you using that word in the same way as success or I think what I was trying to do famous, I was trying to unpack famous for myself Mm -hmm. because I was like, you know, when you get the snake bit feeling, what are you lacking? You're okay. So being famous looks like people know you by your reputation. You're in major publications. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, your picture's been in the Times. <laughs> uh, you've had eyeballs, you know, on you. And I said to myself, first of all, does it have to be at a volume? Because I have all those things. And I've done all those things. So why do I think it has to be at, 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 you know, why does it have to be at an order of magnitude bigger? When actually, when I'm in a small audience, I can look out and see the person who has come back for a second night. And I, or you can see people trying to catch your eye during a curtain call mm-hmm. and those things that give you chills that you can't, you know, get in a thousand person theater. Um, and then I realized all of those things also I have had through activism and I would say this happened to me last night where I went and saw friends, um, in a show and afterward I went up and was hugging them all and one of them introduced me uh to her she said oh I want to get one of your t-shirts Lizzie and she said Lizzie's making these t-shirts to the other people she was talking to and I had come away from that having that sort of hot feeling where you see your friends in a really popular show (laughs) and you're like (laughs) um they know me, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but, that's, but that's my people. Right. But, but you're, but you're also, I mean, I walk away from those, I, I come out of those theaters, like 
of course, so gladdened and heartened. Um, and, and yeah, feeling lucky that I'm like part of the cohort, uh, that I, I know, you know, successful people, we're all in it together. The circle rises together as Paula Vogel said to our class at Brown. Mm. But I also like kind of walk to the subway a little too fast, you know, like they have a thing. And now, you know, this idea that there's, there's things to, to be gotten and you didn't get one. Right. But then I was known. I didn't tell Miriam Silverman that about my, you know, latest, like militant feminist gambit. She just, she'd heard about it somehow. (laughs) And I was like, okay, so that, you know, like learn to, I don't want to call it success, but like learn to see these things when they're in front of you, learn to see these things when they present themselves to you. It's easy not to appreciate them. Yeah. Just to ignore it. Right. Totally. Well, we're going to talk about so many things. But since you mentioned it, can we talk a little bit about your activism right off the bat? Yeah. Because um, Lizzie is an actor and a vocal coach, and we'll get back to all of those things. I tried to mix the coaching and the activism, and it didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> um, tell me about uh, your relationship to activism, to politics. Mm-hmm. Um, is it something that you've always been involved with, or is yeah. it? a reaction to this most recent political shit show? Mm-mm. No, I, it's been my whole life. My mom, I was trying to think how my mom would kind of self-identify in the Missouri Democratic Party, and I, I would call her a big wheel. Um, mm. She would be very embarrassed by that. But um, I was raised going to um, going to fundraisers. Like, I think the first time I was ever in a bar was a political fundraiser. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. The Democrats are obviously in the minority in Missouri, but in Kansas city where I'm from, there's a, a mighty, um, a mighty presence. And, uh, my mom really indoctrinated me into, um, leftist politics. Um, maybe earlier than like, Sometimes I think about like, okay, when should you start teaching children about being pro-choice? Because there's a lot of sort of, uh, there's like attendant questions <laughs> to that about kind of like maybe before you really understood birth and death, right? Right. So, um, but nope, there was no kind of boundary around that. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah, and my mom has this um, is great since it's Mother's Day weekend. Oh, I love it. Hi, mom. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, she, I, I hope she's felt this, that, um, she is so like the animating spirit of all this. And, um, I think sometimes when I am forceful with her and, uh, you know, calling her angrily, like give this person more money. Um, you know, we, we have had a couple fundraisers at our house. My mom, um, her kind of most recent example of being like a old guard supportive female figure, um, having been honored by the, uh, greater Kansas city women's political caucus, I might say. (laughs) Um, so after the election, um, I was home in January and, um, 
we started going to protests at Roy Blunt's office. Roy Blunt is one of the senators from Missouri. And we would go to his Kansas City office and they were having, you know, all the things that were happening at legislative offices after the election. Right. As the cabinet was all getting nominated, there would be, you know, sit-ins and... Um, the the woman who was starting the indivisible she be, she started the indivisible Kansas City chapter um, was this woman named Hillary Shields and uh, she's about my age and she was just sort of running around getting us all in line taking us up the elevator in groups of ten um, you know getting us on uh, Twitter videos running around like mad and she decided to run for a special election um, that she lost. But my mom got in touch with her when she decided to run again for the midterms for a state Senate seat, um, a state legislature seat. And my mom said, I can introduce you to um, this generation of you know people with money. And so she became a person we were supporting. So I, during the midterms when I was home, I was working uh, for her, working for Claire McCaskill and working for Sharice Davids on the Kansas side. Um, so I got one out of three. Mm. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. So I, in high school, um, got much more into progressive politics more and more. Um, my high school has a very good record, or at least my class had a very good record of, um, predicting the future in terms of most likely to, I, <laughs> I was voted most likely to become a professional protester and Heidi Gardner, one of my best friends from high school, who's one of the newest cast members on Saturday night live was voted most likely to be on Saturday night live. How funny. I know. Scion <laughs> girls are number one. Um, and then I went to a very liberal, liberal college and, um, I would say that when it comes to like kind of on the street stuff, that started around the time of the killing of Michael Brown um, when Black Lives Matter was uh, running a lot of marches in the city. I didn't sleep at Occupy Wall Street because I can't sleep outside, but <laughs> we, I, I um, did that really one of the most memorable marches I think in New York, uh, marching across the Brooklyn bridge with them. So I knew in the 2016 election that I wanted to work for, um, whoever the democratic candidate would be. And I did that for, um, a year. How did you, um, how did you balance that with, uh, paying your bills and doing your artist? artist commitments well in new york um you know often with the the acting stuff mm -hmm. i mean we can talk about day jobs too you know you're often working like two full-time jobs anyway just Mm -hmm. trying to to pay all the bills um when i'm home in kansas city i'm working you know full-time for for candidates but in in kansas city First of all, I'm living with my mom and stepdad. Right. Um, Takes care of some of the... I'm driving my mom's car. (laughs) Um, And, uh, but yeah, I I have to kind of set some aside to make sure that I pay my, you know, 
rent. I should also say, like, I just, when people talk about money, I, I come from, like, privilege, and I have access to family money, and um, I was, think it's important that, like, no, that's great. to like Thank mention like yeah like the um on call your girlfriend they call it secret white people money. It's like <laughs> how does she do it? I have secret white people money. Like gotcha. Gotcha. um I I mean I eat a lot of beans <laughs> and tuna. Um but um no, but that it you know yeah. it's a different story when you have a little bit of wiggle room or you know that there's a correct a cushion there. Yes. Okay. Um I don't have any student debt. Gotcha. Um and in New York, so in Kansas City, it's different because I was at like their, well, I was at Hillary Clinton headquarters. I mean, at Hillary Clinton headquarters, we were making calls. The volunteer center was all calling. We were calling the whole country, whereas in statewide races and you go to the, to the you know, uh, local offices, you're, you're just calling smaller areas. We were throughout the primaries calling, you know, primary states and, um, you can kind of go for as long as, you, as however long you want. <laughs> I mean, there were people I saw who were there every single day. Wow. Um, lots of women of color were running that volunteer center. Um, I would, I would only go a couple times a week. I was there most of election week. And I was there all of election day and night. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's very doable. It's very doable. No, and I think for people who have never participated in a campaign, a campaign, it seems probably more daunting than it is. Mm-hmm. Or that you have to be working for them full time or not at all, which no. is not the case. Yeah, the people who worked for Hillary Clinton full time, I perceive to be. Uh, retired, mm. um, now volunteers, yes, the, yes, yes. the interns and the woman running the volunteer center are employees. They were employed by the campaign. Right. Um, and the people like, I mean, the volunteer center was this room set off. So the headquarters was in Brooklyn. The people actually in the offices, like planning her campaign were, you know, I went out there like three times. <laughs> they were a whole other world, but I think the thing that is daunting for people and that I admit that I also don't like, but you have to do it is canvassing, right. going door to door. Yeah. I actually love calling people. It's easy. I think some people get more intimidated by that actually. And yeah, I, I feel find like that it would be easier for me too. Yeah. You would prefer calling. I would prefer calling. Yeah. But it's funny how when, like when they set you up, you can call from your house you can text, you can, they, cause they have all this, you know, cause they're trying to get the kids. <laughs> um, so, but it's funny, all the like tutorials of like, just be yourself. And I'm like, I'm ready to be myself. I'm ready to preach to people and be <laughs> obnoxious. <laughs> um, like I loved it when I got someone who, well, I didn't love it. It was, it turned out really horrible. Um, but I could, I could handle it. And I felt invigorated when I got someone on the phone who, was undecided. Actually, no, it was horrible. It was frustrating. What am I saying? It was just adrenalizing, (laughs) I guess. How are you feeling about, um, how that feeds you as an artist? I feel like I'm able to bring a skill set to bear. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I had people on the, 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 one of the heads of the Sharice David's campaign said, you, you know, you could be a community organizer if you wanted to. I think that all the things that actors, I mean, my message to be, to anyone who feels like it's out of reach or feels like they don't have the skill set. You have the exact skill set as an actor. We're communicators. You're a communicator. You're punctual. You're probably overeducated and well-read. You probably have time to read most of the New York Times and the Washington Post every day. You know, you're presentable. <laughs> like, um yeah, I, I feel like when I when I first approach campaigns, campaigns that are just starting are very wild and woolly, and they, they have a lot of people calling them who aren't going to stick around. So they kind of just take all comers, but they assume that you'll just do one shift. So there's been a couple times where I've had to say, you know, I'm here to stay and let me tell you all the things I can do. Mm. You know... To me, this is what it is to be in the world. To me, this isn't kind of... And that's why that's how I was raised, right? Is that right. this is how we interact with... Like, you know, I think people, and especially women now, are finding this phrase, oh, I'm, I'm not political. I, I don't care about politics. Maddening. It's... It drives me crazy. Yeah. My mom says that. Hi, mom. I love you. Drives me crazy when you say that. <laughs> and do you, I mean, yeah. Do you feel erased? Like I, I, I just don't understand it. It's so personal. It's personal, and we owe Especially it to. Right now. Yeah, we we owe it to. I mean, for people who it is newer, we have to acknowledge, um, especially white women. We need to acknowledge that. You know, when we did the Women's March, first of all, we didn't invent that. And, um, you know, our our sisters of color were wondering where we were during Ferguson. Mm -hmm. So take the opportunity to, you know, catch up a little bit. And we have to do extra work for, you know, we, we, we have to, it's like, you know, for This American Life when they say uh, donate $10 because you'll be covering three other people. Or like when NPR, you know, please, please give because 30 other people aren't going to give. You have to cover your neighbor's ass. We have to work twice as hard. First of all, because, you know, of representational government, every state has two senators, which means that a Wyoming voter is 67 times more powerful than a California voter. Um, and there are still people and, and, you know, God bless them. If, if your life is comfortable right now, I'm glad for you. I, I, um, like we need people in the world at peace. Like that's balanced, I guess <laughs> that there, yeah, there are people who are waking up like, what a beautiful morning. Yeah. <laughs> they, you know, I, I, I always say I'm, I'm working for them too. And I, mm. I, I would say that I say that to sometimes people on the phone, like, "Well, I'm like that. I'm doing this, I'm doing this for you too." Yeah. Hope we can earn your vote. Hope we can change your mind. Mm -hmm. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry. Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? 
Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. To change the subject completely. Mm. Um, so you went to Brown for grad school. Correct. Um, and you and Frankie went to Chautauqua together, which is how we met. Yes. <laughs> oh my God. And then did you move to New York right after Brown? I did. What was, I did. What was that transition like? Because oh I came here straight from the Midwest. Yeah. Um, you went through <clears throat> Providence, which is like another small city. Right. A little bit of East Coast before you got here. Mm-hmm. Um, but what was that transition like? And how are you feeling about New York now also? That's the second part of the question. This is a really great question. Um, I remember that everyone I knew who was moving to New York, because what's cool about moving to New York from grad school is there's a cohort. Yes. Yeah. You're all moving there at the same time. It's a hub for the arts. A lot of people are coming. A lot of people are coming. So you can like, let's go to Williamsburg. Like, (laughs) like, you you know, you can treat it like Disneyland for a couple of months um, together. Uh, And I just remember that everyone got ill. I remember that everyone had some reaction. Mine was a digestive. That's all I'll <laughs> say. Um, but I remember uh, I knew someone who got really bad hives. Someone who... Um, Fascinating. Yeah. Everyone, it was like Just we'd been shot to the moon. Yeah. Um, so everyone had a physical reaction, which I thought was interesting. And honestly, I mean, I've been here 10 years. Congratulations. Thank you. Um and just recently do I love it. Wow. I know. I'm glad you love it now. I know. That's a great thing. But <laughs> right. But but the impli- the the implication of your yes. wow is Jesus, you've lasted <laughs> a long time. Um I mean, yeah, I felt like I've been on I before that I kind of felt like I was on an extended business trip. I felt like I I had to be here. This is I get, you know, I've, this is where I've gotten all my work from. Um I don't want to be in LA. And there's been a place for me professionally. Um, and all of my dearest, dearest friends, except for Hillary, um, <laughs> previous guest, friend of the pod, Hillary Clemens, um, are here. And, um, but I, I could tell that some people were having a love affair with New York. And I was like in a marriage with New York. I was amazed at how many people, especially like back home, when you introduce or when you would talk about like, oh, I live in New York, they'd be like, do you love it? <laughs> and I, w- I remember wanting to be like, well, I don't live in Paris. Like it's like, you know, I'm sure people who live in Paris feel the same way. <laughs> right. But I think they actually do all feel, this. <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, New Yorkers have the same self of kind of sense of possession. And it really happened really suddenly Hmm. that I actually kind of remember getting off a plane in the last year. I was, maybe it was when I got back from the midterms, working on the midterms, and I've been gone a long time in Kansas City, and I got back here, and usually that was a little bittersweet for for 10 years. That had been like, oh, you know, hard to leave home again. Not that I want to live in Kansas City, but... 
it just felt assaultive to get back into this rhythm and you know LaGuardia like it's just like you're just welcome. like right <laughs> welcome please eat shit and die um I remember looking around at the people sitting in LaGuardia, many of whom probably were not actual, you know, New York residents. But I just was like, I missed you motherfuckers. <laughs> this, this is weird. And I was, I was glad. And, and I started having experiences on the street of wanting to take pictures of things, of certain like mosaics and, you know, um, candles and bottles of brandy and stuff on the street and people kissing on park benches or this kind of light coming through this that had always driven me crazy when people would be like, New York, I love you. <laughs> New York, you did it again. And I was like on Instagram and you're like, yeah, what's your rent? You know? Right, right, right. But I had the experience of, of wanting to be I like, I feel like when the weather finally gets nice in the spring, there's like a couple of weeks where I feel that every year. Right. Yes. It's magical. Right. And you, right. And you're back to being like in your twenties and you're like, I genuinely do want to go have Rose on St. Mark's. Like I want, like I'm ready. <laughs> the old St. Mark's though. <laughs> the old St. Mark's. The old, right. The quote unquote old St. Mark's from seven years ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Our old St. Mark's. But yeah, so I, I, I feel very lucky. And as I was just telling you, I just bought a place. So I'm signed That's up. Right. Yeah. You are signed up for New yes. York. You have an apartment. Yes. So I'm getting, excited. I'm signed up for New York. I'm getting the newsletter. Wow. I'm here. I've subscribed. <laughs> but you end up working a lot out of town mm-hmm. in regional stuff, mm-hmm. which is awesome. Um, I love going out of town. I love, you do. Yeah. Exploring any place. Exploring. Well, I've also been lucky enough to go work in places like Florida and Vermont and the Berkshires. Um, I do love when you do that, how it's kind of, it's a little summer camp vibe. Yes. Because you don't have anything else to do in that city. You have nothing else to do. I know. So it's kind of, in New York, I feel like I'm always spinning a million different plates. Well, and secretly, like off Broadway, you're, you know, you're losing money. Right. throughout the rehearsal process which then you have to make up during the show yeah so it's like less glamorous I mean much love and respect to all my off-broadway friends right now yeah but there's this when you when you're living in a a place that's so much cheaper you're making more right this is something so people bizarre. don't understand yeah it's so bizarre have you been involved at all with the fair wage on stage? I campaign emailed with with them a little bit, just like asking some specific questions, um, as I kind of follow again on social media. Um, I remember there was some kind of kerfuffle happening and I emailed them and I was like, what's, what are the actual ins and outs of this issue? Um, I'm not involved with them. No, I don't work for them. Um, side note, I went to see the most amazing play last weekend called Octet at Signature. <gasps> is it so good? By Dave Malloy. Mm-hmm. And it is a all acapella, right. eight-part oh chamber, choral musical about internet addiction people. That's what it's about. Yes. Um, I mean, it's about a lot of different things, 
but the majority of it is centered around different kinds of addiction related to technology and the internet. Like porn. And just, uh, one section of it touches on that. Yeah. <laughs> I immediately am like, porn. Yes. Um, but because that's the addiction you hear about. <laughs> okay. Um, but the more insidious, just, I mean, the way it's just permeated our lives too, like the ways that you can't avoid it now. Um, and the way it changes your brain. Yes. Like, it's Dave Malloy is such a like mad genius. The way he takes these like huge ideas mm. and, um, you know, choral acapella music. And then it's like the most current thing I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, I think you would really like it and yeah. I want to talk to you after you see it. But everyone should see it. And I felt afterwards, I was like, oh, I should post that everyone should go see this. <laughs> I was like, I feel that would be sacrilegious. <laughs> it's like against the message of the show. Mm, so I didn't post anything no. on social media yet. You're an influencer, Leah. Um, you got to get the word out. <laughs> well, this is me getting the word out. Anyway, it was fascinating. Mm. It made me so scared about what we're all doing to our brains and how I raise a child around the internet. You know, people um, raise children around the bubonic plague fascinating like it's okay (laughs) it's okay anyway so um off broadway wages low wages regional theater Mm -hmm. when did you start doing vocal coaching and has that have you found that to be a good way to like supplement your actor income Mm -hmm. or is it more because it's just an interest of yours and did you start pursuing it more for that reason than for the like the financial stuff Um, I kind of started doing it by accident because people were asking me to do it. Um, You have a gorgeous voice, by the way. Thank you. Through the headphones, it's amazing. Um, I did yoga today. I uh, was kind of a a dialect top dog at Brown Trinity in my class. So people would call me like, can you help me do this? Can you help me do this? And Brown Trinity is infamous for starting theater companies. Everyone, because yeah. <laughs> we we are um, paired uniquely and electrifyingly. I, I I found this so central to my training there. Trinity Rep is one of I I don't want to say I was trying to think of this like can I say on the air uh, the only I don't know if it's still if it's the only but it is one of the last vanishingly rare. Um, true repertory companies, right? As in, you sign up with them, and your career is with that company. They commit to you in an artistic marriage. That's amazing. I find it so poignant and profound. And I am hearing all the like obscene laughter of the very salty group of people who is Trinity Rep. They'd all be like, yeah, wait, you know, that's what you say. But, <laughs> because, of course, they're up each other's butts then for like right. 40 sure years. So much drama. Oh, my God. <laughs> Which we were all like oh, just rubbing our hands together whenever we would hear about it. <laughs> but um, I, I find it so meaningful that, you know, you, you, you start out there as, you know, generally if you're in your twenties, thirties, an ingenue, then you're the leading, then you're doing the leading ladies, then you're, you know, becoming the lady M's and the, and then you're becoming this role. Like they do a Christmas carol every year and you cycle through (laughs) everyone, you know, instead of being kicked to the curb after, you know, 
your, your, your single aesthetic purpose has been filled. I found that really meaningful. And so with that example, lots of Brown Trinity people, um, fiasco was started by Brown Trinity people, fault line, um, many, many others. So they would, people like that artistic directors of Brown Trinity companies would call me up and say, can you come, Mm. you know, just do this, um, Right. Many, many emails that said it, work with it, for, your cohorts. Work with your cohort. And for now it would just be, you know, we we don't really have anything to offer. <laughs> so Right, right, right. Right. And and that was a big transition where I was like, actually this is this I cost money. It's hard to say that, especially to your friends. It's really hard to say that. Fortunately, less and I have to say it less and less to my friends. Now I'm saying it to professional theater companies saying that's not enough time. There's an interesting um, habit of really saving money by not hiring a dialect coach Um, and then bringing one in during tech, which I think is so grievous. And specifically for dialect, is that mostly what you do is dialect coaching or is it more? Yeah. Now. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yes, well, God like, forbid you have a voice coach. Why would you have a voice? I mean, that is just that's a luxury too luxuriant. Too that's just British. That's downright <laughs> British. Um, right, that's for a dialect coach. That's like, only for state-sponsored theater. The first week of rehearsal, not the literally. Last week of no, I say I say, I I have yet to say this out loud to a producer, and I never will. But I say to directors who are finally because the director will realize that someone is not. Perfect. First of all, you've memorized it. I mean, the muscle memory, right? The look that actors give me when I walk in, I'm very conscious of how I enter the space because I know I'm a stepmother coming in. I love my stepmother, by the way, um, (laughs) to mess with their shit, you know? And, and I'm, um, I, I have, they're overwhelmed and they're they're overwhelmed the other things at that point. And it's a little accusatory to be like, and, uh, Leah, you've got a private with Lizzie today. Uh, we'll be putting you in studio X, you know, under the closet. And you're like, wait, why? I must be fucking up my dialect. (laughs) Um, but I've, I've said to directors, the, 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 the moment you know you need a dialect coach is when you see that you're doing a play with a dialect. <laughs> uh, that's yeah. your signal. Um, because every, I mean, if you're working with trained actors, they've been trained as to like how to find the resources and how to begin working on it on their own. But sometimes you just need that outside ear. And people don't understand. The changes are so small, you right. can't hear it yourself. And a good actor and, a, and the person who's perfect for the part may not be, I think that... What I hear directors and producers say is, oh, we'll just hire good people. We won't need a dialect coach because we've hired such good people. Yes, you have. You've hired, I mean, I've worked with stellar casts. Sometimes they're defensive when I come in, but usually they're salivating because they say, they pull me aside. They grab me by my clothes. I, I, can I get some time with you? Because they felt at sea. Resource. And they've had too many cogs running because they've been monitoring their own dialect. Right which is it's too much not gonna work so i it's been wonderful to become friendly with to to have directors start to trust me where they invite me back um 
and know that I'm a good resource. I, you know, I've had to learn not to be invasive. I've had to learn not to direct. Yeah. Yeah. I still do sometimes (laughs) in privacy. Yeah. Well, and I'm sure also to realize when, when the dialect is not the focus the most important thing of that moment. Mm. Like those moments where they do need to be, um, like when they can receive your information and when they can't. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Sometimes mm-hmm. there's those moments where the actor just has like a wall up. It's therapy. And it's, oh yes, believe me, I had the most issues with voice and speech in grad school. It's amazing. The voice is more personal than anything. Yes. And I'm amazed at the, at the, the number of people who when I sit down with them, they have to open with, just so you know, I can't do this. Huh. These are professional people with resumes as long as your arm. Just so you know, I'm bad at this. And I will say, well, you've been put in the show, so clearly that's not true. You know, we're going we're gonna to break it down. We're going to make it fun. We're going to have recordings. And I remember the first time it happened to me, but it's happened multiple times since of, of, I was, this was voice coaching. I was voice coaching an actor. Um, and, uh, I said, what's, she, she was becoming more and more blocked, more and more frightened. Um, I finally had her on the floor, you know, lying, lying down on your back the way we spent so much time as actors. And I just kind of got down close to her ear. Her eyes were closed. And I said, what is the worst case scenario? I say this periodically. I said, what is the worst case scenario if you mess this up? And she said, they'll find out I'm a fraud. Mm -hmm. And she burst into tears. Now I've learned to just go ahead and say that for people. She gave me a wonderful gift that day. Mm -hmm. She was brave enough to say it to me. Um, I think that's how everyone mm -hmm. feels. (laughs) So I just say, you know, this is... A million times a day. Yeah. Um, You messing this up is not how you get rumbled. (laughs) You messing this up is not how you get kicked out of the business. And um, I'm here to make sure... I, I I am your defense now. I'm setting a pick between you and this dialect. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to get there together and I'm in charge now. And that, and you know, I'm in charge of, of making this work for you. And if that hasn't happened for you yet, I'm going to find out why. And I'm going to get to the bottom of it and you don't have to worry about it anymore. That's so wonderful. I hope so. No, just to feel like you have someone there who has your back. Yeah. And I'm sure for some people, even you just saying that just makes it possible. Yeah. It's a wonderful... Takes the weight off their shoulders. Exactly. It's a wonderful opportunity to advocate for the way you you wish that sometimes, you know, production teams had... That's what's great about the dialect coach is she or he has the mental space to advocate. The director who's drowning in the set and Mm -hmm. the, you know, designer who just quit... And the budget is seeing so many moving pieces and seeing so many macro things that they don't see the person in the back dissolving into tears. And I am able to 
focus in on that person and just make a much more generous offering. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. How exciting. It's cool. I feel really lucky. It's very invigorating and it's invigorating to be part of a production. I mean, you said like how it kind of is the ancillary to my career. Um, I do feel like part of the creative team doing it. It's so intimate too. It's so intimate. That's what I find so attractive about it. Just hearing you talk about it. Yeah. You know, like it's very personal. I don't think it is for everyone as I've met some other dialect coaches, but that's, that was my, um, tradition that I learned. It's very intimate in the sense that you're getting this like one-on-one relationship with people. Mm -hmm. However short that time is you have Mm -hmm. together. Mm -hmm. That's wonderful. I'm so glad. Well, I found that. I got that from Tom Jones that, that it has to be infused with a lot of love and vulnerability. I, and, and, and what's cool about dialects is it's math. It's the only math I've ever been good at. <laughs> it makes me feel very proficient that it's just, you know, one for one X equals Y. Do you find a lot of the acting roles that you end up booking have dialects? No. Really? No. Cause there's one, my classmate, Jessica Love. Do you know yeah. Jessica? I know who she is. Yeah. We always, whenever I see her show, I always joke. I'm just like, Yep, of course. Of course Jessica got this one. She's playing that, like, Czech right. barmaid. Like, whatever. Yeah. She was the person in my class who just, like, had the ear had it. Yeah. for dialects. I'm getting ready and I, to... every show I see her in, she's playing someone with a dialect. You're like, I haven't heard your real voice. I'm getting ready to do a show in November um, where I will do two uh, different dialects. Mm. And it was uh, a... It was a nice, it was a nice privilege to, to have worked on them so much, um, in and out of roles that I didn't really have to prepare for the audition. It was one of those things where I was like, what if I just like, don't prepare, you know, like sometimes you're just like, well, nothing I'm doing is working. So what if I just like, don't get any sleep and like get drunk the night before. And I just like went in and I was like, all right, I'm just going to show you. And they, and I got the job, of course. Sometimes it's those ones where you're just like, well, oh, I'm not going to get this. I'm not going to do anything to get this. <laughs> right. Or I'm not going to care. Yeah. That's sometimes the, the Which I think ingredient. is one way to keep away the darkness is notice how able you have been. Um, like something I'm really proud of is, to, is that I'm able now to go into uh, auditions and be sitting in the waiting room and chatting with people because now you you know people come in you know them right and of course I'm concentrating and of course right before I go off you know by myself when you're on deck you you go have a moment but I'm able to be like you know talking shit with people outside, not about, you know, but <laughs> I'm able to be chatting with right. friends instead of just in this rictus of con- concentration that I, I mean, I used to think, it, you know, it was like baseball. I, 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 you know, I had to be, you know, wearing certain socks right. and now I'm just like, this is who I am. And I've got a lot in my back pocket and it doesn't hurt any less but I feel more con- when you don't get it. But I, I've been able to, <laughs> I, 
in more and more important elevators <laughs> as I leave more and more important auditions, you know, I've been able to say to myself out loud, if I don't get that, it's not my fault. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, how does your family feel about you going into the arts as your career? Pretty chill. Are there other artistic folks in your family? My great-grandmother um, on my mom's side was one of the original members of the Doily Cart Opera Company, the um, Gilbert and Sullivan Oh, cool. resident company. And other than that, my step-family on my mom's side, there's lots of artists there, but I was definitely an outlier for my folks. I'm the only child, so they had to kind of take what, what they could get. <laughs> um, and... Um, I think my dad, something I really appreciate about him is he, I think he knew very early that I too would make a good lawyer mm. and he never said a word to me about it. That's very aware of him. Yeah. I've thanked yeah. him for that. Um, my mom was a little more concerned <laughs> and I mean, I guess to her credit, she just saw other things that I could do. Um, and, and and through high school, I thought I was going to become an English professor. And really until like junior year of college, mm. I took Where on a double major. I went to Colorado College. And um, I was doing Eric Murdoch's senior project with him. He asked me to be in a senior project. And he just turned to me one day. He said, Lizzie, why don't you walk across to Armstrong and sign up for a double major? And I was like... He pointed you in the right direction. He pointed me in the right direction, literally, because then he got into Brown Trinity. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And I, I had a real Sometimes glimpse. Sometimes those people. Yeah. I had a glimpse of if, if you can't see it, you can't be it. I, you know, it's so funny. My friend, Stephen Plunkett, um, who went to Evansville with me, he was a couple years ahead of Everybody me. Everybody went to Evansville, though. So like, I was already on the path. I was how many Evansville. people go to that school? But when I was a freshman, he was a junior. And um, I had a little bit of a crush on him, as oh, okay. everyone did. Ooh, mm, that guy, um, yes. But he had just come back from Chautauqua. Because it used to be that it was more for undergrad. Oh, really? Yeah, before Viv took over. Oh, interesting. And um, I remember we had taken this walk, and he was telling me how, what an amazing summer. He and two of his classmates, all three of them, had gone together. And... Um, he was telling me about it and I was just like, okay, when I'm like at the, the it's junior or senior, when they take mm. people, like I want to be the one. When who the gets, call comes, I shall Chautauqua. answer. Yes. <laughs> Cause at that point, or no, I had to go to Chicago to audition, but they used to come to Evansville to audition people. And I was just like, I need to go yeah. set my sights on it. And then I went and like, that's when I ended up meeting some of the teachers were teachers at Juilliard who I'm sure helped when I auditioned for Juilliard. And I got oh, Juilliard. wow. And when I think back on it, I was like, thank you, Stephen. What an important walk. Yeah. It was just interesting. Hmm. Those people who introduce you to things that later you're like, you kind of connected some dots for me there. Yeah. It probably, I probably would have wound up there somehow anyway, but I specifically remember him like painting this picture of this place for me that I was like, I want to go there. Mm-hmm. I love that. Do they? Do your parents get to see a lot of the shows that you're that you're in? 
It stresses me out um, when they uh, kind of all the kind of shepherding and hostessing the minimal, you know, very um, not welcoming hostessing I do. Um, (laughs) It's it takes away brain space. It interrupts my sleep. I mean, they're, they're, I'm, I'm very close to both my parents. It doesn't make sense. It's just a psychological thing. Um, so I, I try, I try to divvy it up, um, where my parents have kind of differing levels of comfort and interest in New York. Yeah. When I'm out of town, um, it's a different story. It's a different story, and you feel like you can sort of... I mean, they're, they're both good with and with their respective partners at kind of going off and entertaining, but I, I, I set a pretty strong boundary of when you're in town to visit me, that's one thing. When you're in town to see me in a show, yeah, I will see you in the lobby after. Right. Like, <laughs> you're focusing on something else. Right. So that's not... Especially if it's opening or something and you're like, I'm still... I'm really yeah, only yeah, focusing I'm on I'm screwed. This. <laughs> right. And so I... Um, that doesn't feel very, you know, filial. So... <laughs> I, I, it's, it's... But they're interested. Oh. They want to see it. Yeah. Yes. Oh my God, yeah. yeah. Very much. Um, yes. And, and now they both... Yeah, just treat it like totally normal, normal mm. career. Excited about wins, it's understand beautiful. what a win is, which is such a huge, it's a hard thing to to describe mm-hmm. to people who aren't, yeah. aren't in it. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Are there any um, lessons that you've learned in the last couple of years that you're really proud of that you want to tell me about? One thing that comes to mind is if something's not working on stage, have the humility to turn to an older person in the dressing room and ask them to get up and do it for you (laughs) because they're watching you do it. (laughs) Um, if like, if a joke isn't landing or, um, if something just feels weird, gird your loins and, and ask someone in the cast, um, whom, you know, you could learn from, uh, have you been watching me do that? And, and what do you think? Um, I don't think I've done that nearly enough Hmm. to admit when something's not working for you. Well, to know, like to get tips, I think that especially like MFA holding actors, um, we forget that there's such a thing as like shtick and there's there's a shortcut that someone, you know, above you in the profession has figured out. Hmm. And I think that can, that can apply to a lot of things. Well, it's also, I feel like a lot of times in this business where we feel like we need to pretend that we have all the answers that we're so put together and confident that, you know, yeah, we know everything instead of admitting like, Asking for help. Right. Being open to learning from other people. Uh Uh-huh. And there's so much freedom in just admitting that, like, you know, I'm not sure. 
I'm not sure. I don't, I'm not, I don't know what this moment is about. Can yeah. we talk about it? Like what's happening? <laughs> I know. And I, and I feel like sometimes it's weird that I, in life, is yeah, well. it's a great lesson. I know. <laughs> right. I could really learn this. Better at right. That now no, in everything was, else, I'm a terrible know-it-all, but in this, I somehow am able. And what's weird is if you, um, if you stop rehearsal and turn out to the, to the director and say, can we, you know, problematize this or that, that, you know, drives them crazy. And, um, <laughs> I'm still learning, uh, that that's just kind of taking up too much space. But in the dressing room, those people have just as much knowledge about what's, you know, what's going on. Yeah. And, um, you can hack it. You can create a hack together. It can be just like moving a prop. Um, you know, and then you get to turn to the director and say, Oh, you know, Leah and I actually solved that last night. What do you think about this? Right. What do you think about this instead? I think my, my biggest thing that I'm trying to do is know a good thing when you find it. Like when, if you're walking along and you feel happy for no reason, we're in such a transactional career and city. It's like Elizabeth Gilbert says that everyone's walking around New York saying, achieve, 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 <laughs> achieve. Um, it's okay for what you've done to be enough. Yeah. And it's That's okay. Really hard. That's really hard. Yeah. Because our fortunes change so much. So we think this, this, this career is so conducive to kind of personality disorder because you, you, you both suck and you're a genius and both <laughs> of them are true at the same time. Like Tom Jones said that actors are the piece of shit at the center of the universe. And, you know, that's, that's, first of all, that's a hard person to live with, but it's Hmm. like, how can those both be true? How, how can I be so adored and then so forgotten? Hmm. And if you wake up one morning or you're walking down the street and you just suddenly kind of feel blissful you're not crazy. That's your natural state. And like, you know, water seeking the lowest level, you've, you've found it for a second and you don't have to interrogate. Well, what did I just do to earn that? Why do I feel that way? Striving constantly. Yeah. I will say that, um, has not, I don't, I haven't completely learned that lesson, but having a kid is definitely, Hmm put me more in the position of accepting of just like this has to be enough in terms of your career or in terms of mothering no not with the career but um just in doing less and being okay with it and being like you know what this is what I have Mm -hmm. today she (laughs) is still alive at 8 p.m with the podcast too dear listeners I know there's some things that I haven't been doing as much of there's more things I want to be doing but at, and at times I just have to let them go mm. be like, mm-hmm. you know what? It's not worth me stressing out tonight. I either can get it done or I can't. Or, yeah. Or just other, other things that normally I would rush around to do. And it's like, you know what? I just need to sit here mm. and enjoy this moment or be okay with this moment. Because that's truly yeah. rejuvenating. There, there with you. <laughs> yeah. Scrolling through your phone is not rejuvenating. Yeah. 
even if it feels like that's achieving something. It's oh my a god, see octet. Yeah, <laughs> the lie of of busy work being achievement. Mm-hmm. Because we do feel like, okay, what have I done for my career today? Who do I have to kill to get the next? You know, like, do I have to? Where? How? How am I going to go forth and kill the next buffalo? Right. And the thing that I'm more interested in is like, what have you done for your self today as an art like what are the things like you did yoga today Mm -hmm. I know that sounds kind of trite but like what did you do for your creative life today and that doesn't necessarily have anything to do with the business you know and it makes you I know this I know this sounds trite but I think they tried to tell us this in school of quote-unquote being a whole person I always love that when they tell you that in school. What? Uh, I always love it when they tell you that in school. Well, because you don't understand it at you the don't time, have, right? You're just like, I am so going like, how am I to... supposed to do that? Right. No. How do I, I do that? Right. I okay. So I'll tell you the the kind of the rest of what happened last night. I was sitting. I can at... say this now, ten years after graduating from school. <laughs> I know. Well, you you know you want to, you... but I've done it. Yeah, guys. I've done it. You want to get in the boat with the with the guy who's walking on the water, so. Um, last night I was seeing this show and I ran into, um, this younger, uh, actor who's so good. And so like, I would say she's a hot young actor, but I think she's definitely like about to be to, in my mind, she's already just like the next big thing. Mm-hmm. And I'd worked with her two years ago. And so we were like, Oh my God, hi, hi. And she said, uh, turned to the woman she was with and she said, this is my agent. She was at the show with her agent. I was like, wow. Um, And uh, so she was kind of more focusing on her. I I mean, of of course, I just wanted to like engage and like gossip with her. But she she was very, the the agent was, was, it was a little formal. And also like, I don't know if this young actor had quite developed the skill yet of like, here's a third person from a different part of my life, I can now unite this conversation and just, right, right. it might be kind of a Midwestern thing. She's much cooler in Brooklyn. Um, but so they, they kind of continued to talk and her agent was just pumping her for, have you seen this? Are you going to go see this? I'll get you tickets to this. I'm glad you're making a face right now because I was like, wait, is this the baseline? Is this... First of all, wait. Agents are supposed to send you to see plays. Thank oh, thank God, thank God. I Mine no, never did that. I, right. I so I was like, is my manager? First of all, is my manager like this obsessed with me? Is, second, is sh- uh, what's wrong with me? I should be at a show eight times a week. <laughs> I and I don't. I couldn't quite understand what the plan was. If then they they were going to contact all these playwrights, uh, but. But she's like, okay, do you have time to go see this next week? And she was like, yeah, okay, I think I can do that. And I had two simultaneous thoughts. One was, this looks exhausting. (laughs) And two was, this must be where I've gone wrong. This, This must be how you, you know function and I must be just, you know, wallowing in the past. I'm totally way out behind the wagons. What's, you know, this, this person is actually working hard. This person is actually focused on their career. And then afterward, 
I did something which I, I always think is kind of bad form, but I was so curious. I said, are you in anything to her? And I was like, oh, obviously not. We're at a show tonight. But I said, do you have anything coming up? Which I don't, I don't like being asked that. Right. Nobody likes being asked right. that. It, it was a deviation for me to do that. And she said no. And I was like, okay, that was just a mirage. Right. And I don't think that, I think what's, what's cool about this young woman is she's going to stay her, she is so herself. She has such a big personality that she won't become one of those people at the bar who you, you can tell it's all they think about. Like the people at parties, they're at someone's birthday, but they're not at someone's birthday. They're right. They're at an industry party and just their, their eyes are a little too wide And I mean, I know it is so, it is tried to go to yoga. It is tried to to work on yourself. But also I was in there and I felt, first of all, relaxed for the first time I'd felt in about two weeks. And my anxiety felt managed in a real way for an hour and a half. Um, And there was a woman in there who came in in a mask and um, I thought that someone else was coughing during the practice but it was her and her hair was very very short and I was like this is a good place to be too I think we need to be more in the world as actors not that I did anything for this woman (laughs) I didn't like help her up. Um, but oh, we have to be more in the world as actors, yeah. not less. Yeah. Unless there's anything that I haven't touched on that you were desperately wanting to include in this conversation, I will move to the final bit. Ooh. Um, there's just two questions I always ask you at the end. And one is um, if there's any concrete tools that you reach for again and again when you are feeling like you're in that dark uninspired place like books you reread Mm, mm -hmm. um music you listen to or places you go that like something tangible Mm -hmm. Mm. wine lying on the floor stretching doing something with your body on youtube you can watch any episode from all nine seasons of Mystery Science Theater 3000. Uh, It's extremely... (laughs) (laughs) Not what I was expecting you to say. (laughs) But also... It's very useful for when you need to just laugh so hard you feel like you're going to (laughs) pee. Which I think it is re... I mean, (laughs) maybe I'm not answering the right question. But, but, But I think of when I need to change. I mean, sometimes, yes, I have, uh, go to self-help books about bigger anxieties in my life about my future, um, getting married, having children that I actually worry about quite a bit more, mm-hmm. um, than my career. I have, uh, texts, uh, for that. But in terms of Career darkness, my policy is to try and shake yourself out of it at a chemical level. Yeah. 
No, that's the physical activity is so important for that. But yeah, laughing will do it too. Laughing will do it. I mean, it's kind of like if I don't want to work out, I say, okay, if what will let's see what happens to my body if I turn on Beyonce Homecoming, mm-hmm. and will I resist will- for a while, and then how long will it take <laughs> right. before I'm lifted out? Of- There's there is it takes no time. Like yeah. if you're if you're on your feet, you know, <laughs> you will start to move. That's great. Calling my mom. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then the final question is, is there anything um, that you've seen recently or experienced recently of any art form that you want to recommend? Mm. Oh, I would recommend Plano, but it's cl- it closes tonight. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Amazing example of brown Trinity women. Okay. Um, I did not get to see that. Yeah. I feel like I've missed out on things. I missed out on Mary Seacole. Um, my mom was just here helping me out, and she went to see Ain't Too Proud. I heard that that's good. It, I, it was too exhausted that night. Um, so that sucked. I, I'm thinking of other things I missed out on. I missed out on Gats. Um, I, I missed out on... Gats and on Yerma, so I paid three hundred dollars to see Fleabag. Oh my gosh! I know. How was it? It was fine. <laughs> it was perfectly fine. Um, I mean, right now I'm really just kind of wrapped up in Game of Thrones. Gotcha. Frankie watches. I don't. That's my. It's getting me through the week. It's fun when you have something you're really, really invested in. But there's only like two episodes left, right? Yes. From what I hear. Yes. <laughs> From the mainstream media. Yes. 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 After that, yeah, I've got to get a whole new reason to get out of bed. Definitely reason to get on the internet. Do you watch Barry on HBO? No. Is it good? Yeah. Frankie got me into it and now it's, I'm really into it. Yeah. Do you watch Big Little Lies? You know, I've only watched like the first three or four episodes and I liked it, but for mm. some reason I wasn't hooked, but I want to get back into it because obviously Meryl. Meryl. And I have to catch up. The Streepinator is on it. I have to. Well, Lizzie, thank you very much. This was really lovely to have you on. Thank you. It was an honor. Longtime listener, first time pod. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for listening to the Compass Podcast. If you find these conversations valuable to your life as an artist and would like to support the ongoing production of the Compass, please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com/thecompasspodcast. Pledges start at as little as $1 a month. You'll get access to bonus content and anything you can give would be greatly appreciated. Also, if you have a moment, please rate or review in iTunes. Every little bit helps other listeners to find the podcast. I'd like to thank the following people for their generosity. The Compass cover art is by Kim Miller, music by Brandon Spieth, audio assistance from Nick Choksi, and a special thanks to Frankie J. Alvarez. See you next time.
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.